This morning, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. If this is your first time with us, we are uh, we're preaching through the book of Acts, and, and so we're early on in, in our study. Uh, we're in Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 22. We're actually going to go all the way through verse 36 today. Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 36. I'm going to read all of it, and then we'll go back through and, and uh, look at each verse, but... Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 22. It says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. A great passage. And uh, what we learned in the last couple of weeks, this is Peter responding uh, to all these people who have gathered because God's spirit has been poured out on uh, like 120 of the followers of Christ. And so crazy stuff is happening through them and they're worshiping God and, and this group gathers together. And the group, a lot of the people in the group are responding with a what is going on? And so Peter stands up. We talked about that last week. He begins to preach a sermon to these people that are listening and interested in what is God doing or what is happening in these people. Uh, and, and with their interest, Peter stands up and he begins to address and tell them this is what's happening. Last week, we talked about Peter beginning by saying what you're seeing is what was promised Hundreds of years ago, and he refers to the prophet Joel who spoke hundreds of years before that God was going to pour his Holy Spirit out on people and things were going to happen. And, and so he begins his message and says, what you're seeing is what was promised a long, long time ago and it's being fulfilled today. And the verses we're talking about today are continuing in that sermon that Peter is preaching to these people. And so he begins this next part of the sermon, or I guess continues this part of the sermon And really repeats himself from what he said last week. He says again, men of Israel, hear these words. Uh, Just a reminder to the people after he has quoted this prophet and and talked about this prophet. but, But really reminding them, listen, listen to what I'm about to tell you. There is nothing 
Nothing, and I would say this to you, there is nothing that you will ever hear that is more important than what I'm about to tell you. That's what Peter's saying to them. Listen, pay attention. And he says, um, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you. There's, there's probably several Jesuses that walked in that time. And so he's referring to the Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, so that everyone knows who he's talking about. He says, a man attested to you by God. What does that word attested mean? Well, it means this. It means to show or to prove or to demonstrate, uh, to prove something is true. Uh, something is accurate, okay? And so to attest to something is to prove or demonstrate the truthfulness of that, all right? And so what he's saying is this, uh, Jesus of Nazareth was a man whose divine mission was clearly shown. That's the purpose of attesting, to clearly show the truthfulness of something. And so Peter's saying, Jesus, the truthfulness of, of Christ's mission, of Jesus' mission was clearly shown by God. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs. And these are the three areas. This is the way that God showed the genuineness of Jesus Christ to the people in these three different areas. How did he show the genuineness of Christ to the people? First of all, through mighty works. Now, these are different. The meanings of these words are different, and that's why he uses all three words. And so he says, the first way that God or, or that Jesus was attested to the people, or God showed the genuineness of Christ to the people, was through mighty works. And that just um, refers to the power or the greatness or the, just the incredibleness of the, the works that Christ did in front of the people. And we know that, right? As we read through the Gospels, you look at the things that Christ did. And it's amazing, right? We don't know anyone that's walked on water. We don't know anyone that's just walked up to a blind person and said, see, and he sees. And we don't know anyone that takes a, a, a few fish and some bread and, and has a, a, a feast of pe- or a, a, a group of people of 5,000 to feed. And he says, well, this should be enough. <laughs> I'll bless it. And then he starts handing out this food and it just is more and more and more and more and feeds all these people. And so just these unbelievable things, Jesus on the boat and love this story where the disciples are just freaking out because of the storm. He's asleep on the front of the boat and, and they wake him up and Jesus, don't you care that we're going to die? And he gets up and he just says, what? Peace be still. Storm's over. Water's calm. It's just amazing. And so just the power, the power of the works of Christ and God attested, he showed the genuineness of who Christ really was through his works, through his mighty works. The second thing was through the wonders. And that really describes uh, the response that, that was brought about by the things that Christ did. If you read through the book of Mark and, and, uh, and carefully read through the book of Mark, it's amazing how many times you see they were astounded. They were amazed. They marveled. They were astounded. They were amazed. They marveled. Just the response of the people when Christ did something was just they marveled, they wondered, they were in awe, they were amazed that someone could do this. And we would be, right? We see Jesus do something like that. What's our response? No way. We would marvel. We would be amazed at what Christ did. And, and God attested to the genuineness of Christ as people marveled and were amazed just the wonder of the miracles that God did. And the third thing he says, through signs. Through signs, and really that's a picture of, of what all of the things that Christ did pointed to, directed to. God, 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 God. The whole purpose of, of God 
attesting to Christ and to the, to the, the genuineness of Christ was for that purpose. For God, for, for him to receive honor and glory and praise. And so that people would see the works that, that Christ did, the miracles that Christ did. And they would be amazed and their response would be, God must be great. He must be awesome. He must be unbelievable. He must be greater than anything I've imagined. He must be greater than the worship that I've given. He must be greater than anything I could ever comprehend. That was a purpose. And so God attests to the genuineness of Jesus through these three things, through mighty works, through wonders and signs. And Peter says, um, attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him. It was God. It was God working and God did it through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Uh, it's amazing as, as you look through the Gospels and how many times Jesus would do something. The Pharisees would try to deny it. They couldn't deny the miracles, right? They couldn't deny that what Jesus was doing is a genuine miracle. I mean, people knew deaf people who had been deaf for all or most of their life, and now they're hearing. Or they knew blind people that had been blind for all of their life, and now they're seeing. Or they knew people who couldn't walk, and now they're walking. They couldn't deny the miracle. Something happened, but what would they deny? God, right? Even, even it gets to the point where the Pharisees say it's not from God, it's from Satan. Man, the purpose of the miracles was the opposite, that we would say God is great because it was done by God. And that's what Peter's saying. They were performed through Christ by God. I love this. Did God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. Most of the people listening probably had seen Jesus do miracles or heard him teach or at least been related to someone who had been a part of Jesus seeing him and hearing him and, 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 and being able to see the things that he did. So here's all these people who are gathered together and, and, and probably all of them had been impacted somehow by Christ. And so Peter rightfully says, as you yourselves know, you know, you saw what Jesus did. You saw the wonders. You saw the, the, the mighty works. You saw the signs that he did. It didn't escape your attention. How could it, Right. You got Jesus where people are coming and just flocking and following him and going to wherever he's teaching. And, and here's these Jews that were a part of that, living among that during that time and living, living among those people. Probably most of them saw, most of them heard, probably most of them experienced the power of Christ working in someone else's life, maybe their own. There was some there that Christ had administered to or healed or, or whatever. He says, it didn't escape you. You know these things. You know what Christ did. You saw, you yourselves know the life of Christ. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? I mean, imagine how many of these people did see, how many of these people did experience, and yet the hardness of hearts, right? People were just so fickle, right? Whatever the next great thing that comes along. And imagine living in the time of Christ and seeing him do these things and just not falling on your face and just in adoration of God. And just wanting to follow him and say, I'll do whatever, I'll do whatever. But how many people rejected him because of the hard teaching? It was too difficult, too difficult to follow Jesus, too hard to follow Jesus. He teaches too difficult, hard things. And we can't do that. We like the miracles. We like the fun stuff. We like the circus act, right? But the hard stuff, we don't want to follow that. And just amazing to think, to live. And how many of these people were probably impacted by Christ and yet not following him? How many of us are like that, right? And we know what God can do to a heart. We know what he can do 
to the life of a person. And we've seen it. I mean, we've seen the miracle of God changing a heart and, and transforming a life from someone who just didn't want to have anything to do with God and turns and follows God. We felt it maybe, right? In our own life, we've just been opposed to God. We didn't believe. We didn't want anything to do with God. And all of a sudden, he speaks light into our hearts. And we're just like, man, this is the greatest treasure I could ever find. And yet, how deceived we get, right? Where our eyes turn away from God and we look to simple sinful things instead of god that's what peter is just reminding these people you know you know what christ did you saw what christ did you saw what god did through him he goes on and he says this jesus this very jesus that you saw delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of god you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men I love that. This is a sermon, okay? This is a sermon. We know there are thousands of people there because we're going to find out later on in a couple weeks that 3,000 people give their lives to Christ, okay? And we don't know how many people didn't, all right? And so that's huge. That's a lot of people that Peter's talking to here. And this is a sermon. And how many sermons do you hear with 3,000 or more people where someone just calls out the congregation and says, you killed Jesus. Not normally something you put into a sermon to win people over, right? But that's what Peter does. I love it. He's like, this Jesus, this great Jesus, this Jesus, you killed him. It's like, oh, what, I mean, imagine being there and the response of the people and what were they thinking? What were they feeling? Just amazing. But I want to touch on, so we're going to get to that in a second. I want to touch on this phrase uh, that he says right before that. He says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. What this is teaching is um, Jesus was delivered up. We know that. And he was tortured. We know that. He was tried. We know that. He was punished and he was killed. And what Peter's saying is this was done. This Jesus was delivered up by the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. The definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Now, here's what happens a lot of times, okay? We talk about Jesus and the evil that was done to Christ, the evil that was displayed through the cross. And a lot of times the response is, well, of course God knew. Of course he foreknew, but he didn't do it. I mean, God didn't do the evil that was there. He knew in advance because he's God. He knows all things. If he doesn't know all things, then he's not God. And so he knew in advance what was going to happen. He foreknew, but he didn't do it. We have a problem with that when this passage comes up, because it doesn't say this Jesus delivered up by the foreknowledge of God. It says this Jesus was delivered up by the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So one of the things we want to talk about this morning is that, all right? We want to deal with that a little bit. And the question I have was this plan... That God had, if it was a definite plan, a definite plan is when you sit down ahead of time and you draw blueprints. That's a definite plan. A definite plan is when you decide ahead of time, this is what needs to happen. And it happens. That's what a definite plan is. Okay. And so what does that mean in light of Jesus dying? And how could God have a definite plan that Jesus would die? And so the question that comes up is, was this plan just God's response to sin? Well, did sin come into the world and then God just said, well, I got to do something. So I got to sit down and make this blueprint of how I can fix everything because of Jesus. 
And my answer would be no. That's not how God's definite plan came about. God's definite plan was God's definite plan from the beginning. There's two reasons why, okay? Two things I want to talk to. Why Peter can say with confidence that Jesus' death was God's definite plan. The first one is this. God planned it because it was the very best way for him to show that he loved us. Christ's death was the very best way for God to tell you and to tell me that he was madly in love with each one of us. Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates, God shows, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates that's the best way that he can show his love for us. In fact, in John 15, 13, Jesus says, uh, greater love has no one than this, than a man lay down his life for his friend. What's Jesus saying? There is absolutely no better way to show that you love someone than by laying your life down for that person. By giving your life for that person. There is absolutely nothing that anyone can do to demonstrate their love greater than that. That's what Jesus is saying. And so the absolute greatest way for God to say to Tony, I love you and I'm going to prove that love for you, is I'm going to lay down my life for you. That's the, that's the greatest, best way for God to do that. Because that truth goes for Christ, just like it goes for us. Jesus wasn't just saying it to you and me. Hey, the best way for you to show that you love someone is to lay down your life. No, he was telling ahead of time. I'm going to show you how much I, God, love you. When I lay down my life for you, you will know I love you. I love you more than anyone could ever love you. And I'm going to show you by laying my life down. So, yeah, it was God's plan, and it wasn't a response to sin. It was simply, I'm going to show creation, these people that I've created, how much I love them. And I know the one way to do that is to lay down my life for them. The second reason that we know that it's, that it's not God responding to sin, and this is a great passage, Revelation 13, 8. Go to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13, verse 8. This is kind of the scary part of Revelation, the part that everyone doesn't like to read. Okay, so this may be the first time you read this. Maybe you tried to read Revelation before. A lot of people say that, man, I've tried to read Revelation. I just get freaked out. So I go somewhere else. Well, maybe this is the first time you've heard this verse, and, and if so, it'll be fun, okay? But Revelation chapter 13, verse 8. It's talking about the beast, the Antichrist, okay? And, and, and speaking of the Antichrist, it says this, And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb that was slain. Who is the Lamb that was slain? Jesus. Jesus Christ is the Lamb that was slain. And when was the book of the life of the lamb that was slain written? Before the foundations of the world. The foundations of the world. What that's saying is the book of life of the foundations of uh, the book of the life. Okay, one more time. 
The book of life of the lamb that was slain was written before there was sin. The book of life of the lamb that was slain was written before there was sin. God had a definite plan before there was sin to show his love for you and for me. And the best way he could show that was through Jesus Christ. And so Peter says with confidence, Jesus was delivered up. He was delivered up by God, by God's definite plan and by God's foreknowledge. Why? Because God loves you. Because he cares for you. Because he knows that you need love and a savior and redemption and forgiveness and all of those things. And the best way to show you that he loves you. See, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Why do we follow God? Why do we love God? Because he's the greatest thing in the world. It's not to, to keep ourselves out of hell. That's not the reason. That's not the main reason that we follow God. It's because we find out he is amazing. He's God. He's the ultimate. He's the greatest thing that we could ever find. He's God and he's glorious. And on top of that, he loves me. He loves me. And so God planned to show that love for us through Jesus Christ. And that's what Peter is teaching here. So he says in verse 32, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God planned Jesus' death as a payment for our sins and to show his love for us. And he used men with evil and wicked intentions to fulfill that plan. God planned it. He knew it ahead of time and he planned it. Definite plan and he used evil, wicked Men with evil, wicked intentions to fulfill the definite plan that he had for mankind. And that's why Peter can rightfully say, you did it. <laughs> you did it. You killed. You crucified Christ. Now imagine how that feels to be in that crowd. Imagine the response and what's going on in their hearts right then. They did know. And Peter did remind them of Jesus. And the fact that he was perfect. The, you know, the passage we read, he was without sin. And, and oh man, that, that, that passage in Isaiah, like a sheep before its uh, shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Here's Jesus. Many of them may have observed part of the crucifixion or part of the trial, whatever it was, right? And they knew that Jesus didn't open his mouth, that righteously he lived and righteously he died. And they, imagine being reminded of all those things, being reminded of the experiences you had had with people who had been with Jesus or having been yourself with Jesus. And then Peter says, you killed him. You crucified him. God used you to crucify Christ. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible. It was not possible for him to be held by it. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So many people will ask the question, it's not possible for someone to rise from the dead. 
It's not possible for someone to live again. It's not possible. How is it possible for Jesus to die and then come back to life? Peter says the exact opposite. It wasn't possible for him to stay dead. He's God. We got to stop evaluating whether it's possible for God to do something or not. That's what he's saying. We, We can't ask the question, is it possible for God to be raised from the dead? It's not possible for him to stay dead is what Peter's saying. And so in his death and sacrifice that was for us, God raised him, raised him from the dead. And he goes on and says, for David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life. You will make full, make me full of gladness with your presence. It's from Psalm chapter 16. And, and, and uh, David is, is writing this in a psalm. And many had attributed it, him talking to about himself. And so Peter goes on and to explain it, he says, Brothers, I can say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried. And his tomb is with us to this day. And so what people thought from that was that David wasn't going to die. And what Peter is saying is, no, I can tell you he did and he is. And what he was doing was talking about another one to come to fulfill his line of kingship. And it's Jesus Christ. That's what he goes on and says here. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. In verse 28, um, as Peter's talking about Christ, he says, you will make me full of gladness with your presence. That's salvation. That is being saved. That is seeing who Christ is. That's seeing who God is. And just embracing the fact, you and you alone make me full of gladness. You and you alone fill. You and you alone sustain. You and you alone are God. You and you alone can save me. Yeah, there's other things that bring me joy. There's other things that make me happy. There's other things that that I am tempted to do and that they for a time deceivingly bring me joy. But the truth is you fill me with joy and it doesn't end. It doesn't end. It doesn't end unless I turn to those lesser things for joy. David talking of Christ as you fill me. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. In verse 32, it says this Jesus, Peter's going on, this Jesus God raised up. And of that, we are all witnesses. This Jesus God raised up and of that, we are all witnesses. God raised Christ up. God showed his love and power and grace and justice and wrath. Okay, I'm going to stop. Actually, God showed his justice and wrath through Christ's death. God is perfect. He's perfectly just. He's perfectly um, has wrath. He shows his wrath. And so by saving me, by saving you, by saving those who call on the name of the Lord, God is not forgetting about the perfection of his wrath. He showed his wrath. He poured out his wrath on Christ. And so Christ's death shows that God will reveal and show and give wrath to those who are sinful Because Christ took the wrath for us. He took the punishment for us. 
And so through Christ's death, God showed his love and his power and his grace and his justice and his wrath. And he showed that sin was conquered. And then he raises Christ from the dead and he shows his power. He shows his glory and he shows that death conquered. uh, Death is conquered by Jesus resurrection through through his death, through Jesus death. Sin is defeated. Because Christ took on himself the punishment for all sin, for all people who will, just like in verse 21, it says, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So Christ in his death took the punishment for the sin for all people who call on the name of the Lord. And through his resurrection, he conquered, he defeated death. And what Peter says is in verse 22, or excuse me, verse 32, this Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses just as they were witnesses of jesus miracles uh peter says we as well as uh what would it be at least 500 other people from first corinthians 15 we know at least 500 other people we are all witnesses to the fact that yes jesus died but yes he was alive again god raised him up and we are witnesses to that fact going on in verse uh, 33 being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Again, telling the people that are listening, what you're seeing is the fulfillment of what God and Christ promised, that he would send his Holy Spirit and fill his people. Verse 34, For David did not ascend into the heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, talking of Christ, until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Christ died, Christ was raised, and God glorified him and sat him at the right hand of the Father. And he is in glory. He is glorified. And the purpose of us obeying him and the purpose of us following and, and, and the purpose of us believing him and the purpose of all of this, this is the same purpose of his miracles that he performed when he was here, that we would glorify Jesus Christ, the son of God, that we would bring him glory, that we would bring him honor, that we would praise him, that the choices that we make even would reveal that we are filled with gladness because of who Christ is and all that he's done. Man, quickly in, in closing, um, our, our prayer as a church is that exactly this last part is that we as people would see Christ and know Christ as glorious, as the ultimate, as everything, as worthy of following, not just something that so many times we've, we get into these ruts where we just feel like we have to follow Jesus. We have to obey his commands. We have to do this. And our prayer is that we would see that God is so glorious, that he's so great, that it is a horrible place to be in to not obey him because he's the greatest thing ever. And it's not that I just have to obey him or not that I just have to do whatever. Now, I want to worship God. I want to follow God. I want to I want to give my life for Christ because he's the greatest thing that I have ever come across. And he's the greatest thing that I'll ever find. He is the greatest thing that we could ever have. He's Christ. He's God and he's glorious. And God has, as Philippians says, has, has, has glorified him. And at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. We want to do that now. We want to confess that he's the Lord now. We want to bow now because we see him as glorious. 
And man, if, if you're not there in your life, I would encourage you today and get with, get with me afterwards. I would love to pray with you. And we'll just ask God to help. I mean, really, that's it. There's, there's this great passage in Mark chapter 9 where Jesus encounters this guy whose son is, um, is demon-possessed. And, and the disciples can't do anything about it and, and, uh, because of their lack of faith. And this, this guy is talking to Jesus, and, and uh, he says something in the midst of it. He says, if you can, heal him. And Jesus looks at the guy and he says, if I can, all things, all things are possible for those who believe. And this dad's response is so amazing because it hits and and resonates with me so many times in my life. And he says this, I do believe, help my unbelief. And maybe you're there. Maybe you're there. Maybe you say, man, I do. I do believe that Jesus died. I do believe that he rose again, but I'm just Man, I'm just not treasuring him. He's not everything to me. I haven't seen him as the glorious one that God has seated at the right hand of the Father. I just haven't seen him that way. Man, maybe it's just praying with me or someone else this morning and just saying, God, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Help me to see Christ as glorious. Help me to believe that, yes, God, you planned this act in the scheme of things christ dying and rising again because you loved me more than i could ever comprehend maybe it's just praying and saying god help my unbelief if you want to pray with someone afterwards i encourage you please do that so many times we can just get up and leave and kind of check out and 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 just try to forget what we've talked about and really what the spirit has been working on inside of us don't do that today man just worship god as you respond maybe it's in the time we're going to sing a couple songs right now and maybe you just respond during this time and say, God, I don't want to get distracted by even singing. I just want to pray, God, help my unbelief. And confessing again, man, I just, I believe completely. Jesus died. He rose again. He's the only way, the only way that I can get to heaven. I just confess, Jesus, you're great. You're glorious. You're awesome. You're God. I worship you. Let me pray, and we're going we're gonna to worship together. God, thank you so much for uh, your love and your grace. God, thank you. Thank you. It's hard for our minds to wrap around the fact that you would plan the death of your son. Something I would never do. Something I could never do. But God, you are God. And you and all of your knowledge. And all of your love and all of your power. You knew the greatest way to show your love demonstrate your love for us was by giving christ jesus thank you that you said that no one took your life from you you laid it down willingly no one stole that you gave it you gave your life so that we could have forgiveness of sins god i thank you i thank you that you have poured your wrath on christ instead of me because i know i could not handle it And I know I'm lost. I'm lost without you, Christ. And I'm hopeless. And Jesus, I worship you for all that you have done. And I praise you because you are glorious. And you continue to forgive and you continue to heal and you continue to restore and you continue to love. You continue to embrace me. And your promise that you would stay with me even to the end of the age, God. I thank you for that, and I feel that, and I know that. I pray for every person here, Lord. I just pray that your spirit would move and work. 
that we would not resist. As your word says in 2 Corinthians 4, that you would speak light into hearts right now, that they would see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, that they would confess, that they would repent, and they would acknowledge you as the greatest treasure, as God and a Savior. We praise you and thank you for this time. Be glorified in our worship and be glorified in our response to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.